This is changing the way of the, you know, this is the way of the future. This is changing the way that we work. We need to make it a more supportive culture where people know we really care about them and their mental health. And we know that that is going to impact their ability to perform. And so that's why we're investing in this, not just to check the box, but because we truly care about our employees. And it's the only way that the business can can be successful and continue to innovate. Hi, everyone. This is Neil Devani, and welcome to season two of The Operators. This season, we're talking to people who have had a vision of changing the world and actually took the leap of faith to pursue that vision. Our guests include tech startup founders, nonprofit leaders, and rising political stars. Each guest has found supporters for their vision, built all-star teams to pursue it, and raised millions of dollars to make it all happen. We get to hear their stories and how they've overcome the obstacles to creating change. The Operators is produced by Necessary Ventures, an early-stage venture firm investing in what the world needs. Learn more at Necessary.vc. Before we meet today's guest, on The Operators, we like to highlight brands doing good. Today's is Warby Parker, the top online eyeglasses company. Warby Parker has distributed millions of pairs of glasses to those in need through their Buy a Pair, Give a Pair program. And they are now donating PPE and other preventative health supplies to those in the fight against COVID. Go to warbyparker.com slash the operators to learn more. Now let's meet today's guest. Allison Friedenson Watson is the co-founder and CEO of Modern Health, a mental health technology company helping employers ensure that their employees have access to mental health services, including therapists, coaches, and digital content. Allison and her team have taken the company from formation to a $500 million valuation in just three years, with backing from investors such as Founders Fund, Kleiner Perkins, and most recently, Battery Ventures. Full disclosure, Necessary Ventures is an investor in Modern Health. Allison's passion for increasing access to mental health is inspiring, and I'll hope you'll listen in as she shares her journey in building Modern Health. Let's meet Allison. Hi, Allison. Thank you for joining us for an episode of The Operators. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining. Uh, so to start, I'd love to hear just how you're managing the the upcoming holiday. You know, we were supposed to go home to the East Coast, but I think given everything going on in the world, we are are staying put here in San Francisco. So it's going to be a different type of holiday this year. But um, I think, you know, we're all all doing our best to, to stay safe and minimize the spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's smart and very responsible. Um, how are you guys managing it as a company? So, you know, we're mental health obviously has become a top priority as we've seen in year 2020. And we're seeing this firsthand as an employer and making sure that we're taking care of our employees. And so um, this is really a time of year that honestly is incredibly busy for the company. We have a ton of customers who are launching with us um, all the way through Q4 and into the holidays. And so we've told our employees to make sure that they're, they're setting themselves up for success by utilizing the benefits we have available. You know, we've increased our own mental health stipend. Um, working with with managers to really make sure that everyone has the support that they need to get through this time of year where, you know, the world looks a little bit different than it used to. People will be, um, you know, not with their families over the holidays and it's just really busy, a really busy time at work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super important. I imagine uh, through the extension of your customers, you have many people out there um, that you're also thinking about and and providing a help and value to. For the folks that don't know who are listening, can you kind of just give a, an overview of Modern Health and what it is you guys do? Yeah, totally. So Modern Health is a mental 
health and benefits platform for employers. So we work with employers to make it easy for their employees to get access to mental health support. So that could be anything from digital programs like meditation or evidence-based CBT courses. That could be mental health coaching done virtually. That could be therapy. Um, and we support, we have uh, providers, coaches, and therapists that support employees in over 30 countries and that speak over 35 languages. So we're um, supporting a, a global workforce to date. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it seems very timely. Uh, I don't know if uh, you feel it, but uh, there's a mental health movement and a, and a moment over the last few years as people are becoming more aware of this. It's less stigmatized, more of a priority. Um, is that something that you guys thought about when starting the company? You know, it's interesting. I often say that part of starting a company is having some unique insight into the future and having conviction on that before everyone else does. And then another huge part of it, honestly, is just luck with timing. And we, we feel really humbled in that we hit our stride at the right time. Um, I mean, the reality is mental health is, has been a top priority for employers, but of course has accelerated this year as we've seen everything happen in 2020 has highlighted the importance of, of every single person's mental health. But look, the way that we work have, has really changed. It's crazy to think about that not that long ago, we didn't even have cell phones. We didn't have smartphones. We weren't tethered to technology that we are, you know, the way we are today. We didn't have laptops plugged in next to our beds. We weren't working, you know, within the same space that we're sleeping. And it it's really interesting to think about that we as humans on a biological level look pretty much the same as we did hundreds, let alone thousands of years ago. So if you think about the rate at which technology has advanced and civilization has progressed, I often say it's like we have a V1 operating system in a V1000 world. And so how can we live in a world where we have all the benefits of the amazing technology that exists today, which is why many of us are here, but also give ourselves the tools to be resilient to these technologies because we do know that they can have an impact on our mental health. And that's exactly um, why modern health exists. That's part of our mission is how can we give folks the tools, everyone the tools they need to engage proactively in their own mental health to set themselves up for success so that they can thrive in this new world where you know we no longer just work nine to five and we get home and we're not tethered to technology, right? That's just a way of the past. So how can we give each other the tools we need to be resilient so that when we are faced with adversity, we feel like we can can work through it? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and I imagine those trends have worsened uh, over the last uh, year, right, with COVID. Um, people being stuck at home means more time uh, for, for devices, which means more time for uh, strain on your mental health. Uh, I find myself in a loop between my laptop, my phone, and the TV. Uh, and I'm just staring at a screen like 16 hours a day. Yeah, and it's hard. Look, our brains were not wired to be able to look at a, a phone and go through maybe social media and have the feeling of sadness, jealousy, happiness in a matter of 30 seconds, right? We actually haven't created new neuropathways to handle that type of stress. And so that's part of what we're doing. We're saying, how can we help people build up mental fitness and build up resilience? So when they are you know exposed to this type of um, impact to their mental health that they they feel like they've got the tools to be resilient and it totally is a new world that we're living in today and so part of it is how can we how can we thrive in that world because it's not going away anytime soon. So so uh, it makes complete sense. Where did the idea then come from? I guess to be the benefits layer or manager for. Uh, uh, companies as opposed to, say, building a, a next generation provider or a verticalized solution um, to deal with these specific challenges? Yeah, it's a good question. So I guess I'll, to take a step back, I'll share a little bit about, you know, how the company got started, a little bit about my background, because I think it's helpful context. So, you know, I grew up with parents as doctors. 
Um, I thought I wanted to be a doctor um, and mental health has been close to home to me for, for a number of reasons. So um, starting in high school, you know, every family goes through their own versions of adversity. My dad had bladder cancer. Um, he's fine now, thankfully, but he's been on disability ever since. Um, high school was my first time seeing a therapist. It had a huge impact on me and my family. Um, fast forward to my time at Johns Hopkins, where I was playing a Division One sport, I was playing lacrosse, um, and was on a scholarship. And um, I'd say at least half the girls on my team struggled with mental health issues, myself included. Um, whether it was eating disorders, depression, anxiety, I struggled with anxiety. And there was such a huge focus on our physical health. I mean, we had you know, trainers and coaches for everything you can imagine related to fitness, nutrition, weight training, sprinting, endurance, um, but nothing for our mental health. And, you know, and arguably one of the top medical environments in the world, that's really where the antenna went up for me, where I was like, well, wait a second. We know that our mind plays a huge role in how we perform as athletes, let alone students and professionals. Like, why is there such a huge focus on our physical health and not as much on our mental health? And my, my mom's a, a primary care physician who has a big focus on holistic and functional medicine. So she's been prescribing yoga since I was you know, 12 years old. And <laughs> um, I just got fascinated by the mind-body connection. I became a yoga instructor. I got really into you know, meditation and really just understanding the impact that anxiety or mental health, all this plays a role in how we perform. So that really has stuck with me throughout my entire career. And I ended up working at a few different digital health companies um, but before doing that, I had this dream of starting a company. So um, my, I remember about six plus years ago, I was told if I wanted to start a company, I had to move to this place called Silicon Valley that I had you know, very little knowledge of, knew very little about. Um, but fun fact, you don't have to move to Silicon Valley now to start a company. But that's, that was my belief about six years ago. So I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time. I booked a one-way ticket here. It was a complete disaster. Um, I showed up and within- Did you have a job when you came out here or you came out looking for a job? I did. I came out with a job, but I, my plan was, okay, I'm going to go think of this you know, idea. I'm going to start this company. I'm going to raise this money and like move back to the East Coast because that's where all my friends and family are. <clears throat> and I ended up, and then two weeks of moving out here, my boyfriend at the time broke up with me. I lost my job and my apartment that I just spent every dollar I had on a security deposit, which we know in San Francisco is like crazy expensive, flooded. So oh, I had nowhere to live. I ended up the, the I guess the, the moral of this story is to get renter's insurance if you don't have it because it helped pay for me to live in a holiday inn for about eight weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, you know, I laugh about it now, but it was a really difficult time in my life. I felt like I just uprooted my whole life, moved across the country where I have no friends, no family, no job. Like, what was I thinking? And that was a moment where, of course, I went through this experience of feeling very depressed. I was like, okay, I'm going to go find a therapist and put one foot in front of the other. And while the experience of finding a therapist was a terrible experience, and I'm so grateful to say that the, I finally found someone who agreed to a sliding scale rate, and I still see that therapist to this day six years later. Wow. But the big learning for me was that when you're dealing with this type of hardship or this type of adversity... It's really about the muscle that you've built up, the resilience you've built up to face that adversity and work through it and put one step in front of the other. So that was the real inspiration behind Modern Health is how can, how can we create a product that gives folks the tools to flex those muscles? Because the reality is everyone deals with stuff in their life. No one's life is perfect. Everyone goes through their own versions of that, every single person. And so how can they feel like they've got the support from either a, a coach, a therapist, a community, so that when these things do happen, they feel supported to work through it. And so fast forward, I ended up working at a few different digital health companies, finally 
um, you know, was working at a company where I had a front row seat to the problem we're solving. It was a company called Collective Health. And it just brought me full circle, which was rather this huge need for mental health. And so um, ended up quitting my job and taking the, the leap of faith and, and starting Modern Health about three years ago. That's amazing. Did you did you see um, at Collective Health like a, a, a need for a mental health layer? Because it seems like at a company like that, you're getting a lot of insight into what are the benefits that companies are offering? How are they thinking about benefits, the incentives and the motivations behind providing benefits? Totally. Yeah. So we started to see there that mental health had become a top priority for employers. Um, one of the reasons for this is that mental health is the number one cause of disability worldwide. So it's the number one reason that people take a leave of absence from work is related to their mental health. Now that of course has huge impacts on productivity, absenteeism, you know, team morale, and, and the list goes on. But it also really impacts the overall healthcare system, right? There's comorbidities associated with depression, anxiety, and so forth. So if you're someone who struggles with that, you're mo way more likely to have a comorbidity, whether it's cancer, heart disease. And so this really is what caused the light bulb to go off for me, which was having this front row seat to seeing, wow, so many employers are needing a mental health solution. They were viewing it as you know, the fourth pillar to their benefits. So you've got medical, dental, and vision, and they were looking for a mental health benefit as that fourth pillar. And the reasons why they were they were looking for that and why they, you know, their health plan or their medical benefit couldn't take care of this is because most providers out there, uh, most therapists don't accept insurance. And they don't accept insurance because the reimbursement rates are so low. So mm -hmm. the national average in the US is about 40 to 60 dollars an hour. So imagine you're a clinical psychologist who can get paid, you know, north of $200 an hour at point of service through a private practice. You know, why, why on God's green earth would you accept 40 to $60 an hour after you, you've spent 10 plus years, you know, in school and wait and go through all of the headache of dealing with health insurance and, you know, hoping that you get reimbursed the right amount several months after you see that person. So really what's happened is there's this supply and demand where there's a shortage on the supply side and demand is increased. So price, of course, is going up. And what's happened is those who end up seeing a therapist in the private practice world is typically just based on who can afford it. So it's based mm -hmm. on socioeconomic status. It's not based on mental health need. And therefore, there's this whole misallocation of, of healthcare resources in the mental health space. And that was a big opportunity to solve that, is making sure people get triaged to the right level of care at the right time and making sure that employees who do need to get access and support from a therapist can see them and do get, get the support that they need. Got it. So even even like at the beginning of the company, you were well aware of this supply side constraint that exists and how it's been overwhelmed by the demand, the breakdown and all of the uh, reimbursement paradigms. And, and that kind of led to thinking about this as a, a more comprehensive solution. Totally. And, and there had to be a there had to be a solution out there that did not just rely on therapists that leveraged whether it's technology or new forms of care, whether it's mental health coaching, but taps into some other solution that is equally effective to connecting someone to a therapist, but way more efficient, way more cost effective and can scale, right? It's infinitely scalable. Just sending everyone to a high cost psychotherapist is eventually going to break. That bubble will burst. There's not enough providers on this earth to meet the demand and the need of our population. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is something that I talk about a lot uh, when I meet founders who are starting companies that are you know, basically like a, a layer to find therapists. And they think that's a, a good enough business. There's more to it than that. Um, I think there's many ways to solve that problem. But there, there is this fundamental supply demand mismatch that I think is only going to get worse over time. It takes so long uh, to bring someone through the program. Uh, and there's and there's such a shortage. Um, so so you started you started the company, you had the idea for the company. Um, 
you had a little bit of insight from uh, your time at Collective Health. Did you have other things that gave you a leg up uh, in getting off the ground in terms of initial customers or initial investors? You know, I think one of the learnings that I had was seeing just having been in the health and benefit space. So before Collective Health, I worked at a company called Kias, mm-hmm. which is more around a physical wellness platform for employers. And then at Collective Health, you know, that they are a um, they administer health plans for self-insured employers in a very innovative way. So just kind of coming full circle, I was seeing, wow, employee wellness was just continuing to increase as a top priority for employers. And why is that happening? It's happening because human capital is still the number one asset, especially for any innovative company out there, right? At the end of the day, the next billion dollar idea is in someone's head. It's not in a robot's head, at least not yet. And so taking care of your employees and this war for talent is actually, you know, the number one focus for for companies is how can they retain their workforce, make sure that they are given the tools they need to be successful and maximizing their output in a productive way. And that ultimately has a huge, you know, their mental health has a huge impact on that. Employees' mental health plays plays a huge role in how people are performing. And then, of course, it ties into their overall health care, right? If people are mentally healthy, they're going to have just be generally healthier people, which impacts their bottom line. So I think what's happened over the last few years, and it's really happened pretty quickly, is the role of um, the head of people, the chief people officers, you know, they fought to have a seat at the table and now they have the seat at the table. People are looking to their heads of people saying, how, what, what's the strategy here? How can we retain and get top t- and attract top talent? What do we need to do to take care of our employees? And that has happened as we've seen what's happening in the world, you know, really does bleed into our, our life at work. It's, you can't tell an employee to compartmentalize what's going on in the world of racial injustice and how they're um, able to perform at work. You, you just can't. It, you know, people's personal lives bleed into their professional lives and vice versa. So you really have to focus on the whole employee and taking care of the entire employee. And so mental health has bubbled up to the top priority as a leading indicator of how a workforce is doing. You know, similar to diversity, when, when companies, you know, go to their, when, when you know, uh, leadership goes to board meetings today, they look at how diverse is our workforce. That's an indication of success right, of creative ways of thinking, of being innovative. Same is true for mental health. How is your workforce doing? Are they happy? Are they mentally, um, you know, sound and supported right now? And what are you doing to take care of that? So it really has happened pretty quickly, but I started to have that insight over the last several years in, in my um, experience working in the health and benefit space. Yeah, I, I uh, love that you bring that up. We, we had David Barrett from Expensify on the show recently. Um, as you may know, he, he sent an email to all of their users urging them to vote for Joe Biden. So he clearly falls on one side of the debate about whether or not companies should be political or apolitical. It sounds like you also feel like companies don't have a, a choice to be apolitical. They have to kind of engage with the moment. Um, and, and mental health is part of that moment and also um, plays a key role in whatever the moment might be, because a lot of these things do drive uh, people's mental health. And I think it's less about being political or apolitical. It's more about just supporting your employees. If what they're going through is a really stressful time and what's going on in the political environment is impacting their mental health, it's ignorant to think that that it's not going to impact them at work. So less about getting into politics themselves, but more about if this is something that is impacting your employees, you as a leader, as a founder, as a CEO, as an exec, are, you have a duty to support your employees to make sure that they can perform. And they can perform well and that they feel like they've got the support they need to be productive at work. And so just saying, hey, this thing going on outside of work that might be impacting your mental health doesn't matter. Just focus on your work and like, you know, ignore that. 
that's just unrealistic. So it's like, okay, this thing is going on. What can we do to support you so that you can continue to be productive at work? What, what can we, you know, how, how can we help? Um, and I think that that's the, the nuance or the, the difference in the approach that we take at Modern Health. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so back to the beginning of the company, when you, when you got started, um, what was the first thing you did? Was it go out, raise money, or was it try to get a few customers, build a product? How did you sequence those things? Yeah. So the, you know, the, so once I, I quit my, my job and said, okay, I'm going to really give this a shot and go all in on modern health. I realized, you know, I, I had about one and a half months worth of rent in my bank account. So I was like, I should probably find the quickest way to get access to capital so that I can actually give this company a shot. Um, and my husband, uh, who was a friend at the time, he's an entrepreneur himself. He's on his second company. He actually advised, you know, you should, you should go do an accelerator program. And so I ended up applying to a few different accelerator programs, um, ended up getting into Y Combinator. And so was, was obviously super excited to, to get to go through that program. And so that started in the winter of 2018. And really that's when the company started. And um, that lasted for a few months. And after that, we ended up raising our seed round from a four. Uh, they let our seed round. And then shortly after that, we raised our series A. And then shortly after that, we raised our series B, um, Founders Fund letter B, Kleiner Perkins letter A. And then shortly after that, we, we recently just closed our series C, um, which battery led. So we've raised about $96 million in the last, gosh, call it 18 months or so. Um, and I think really what's happened is there's been a huge, huge momentum around mental health. And you know, we feel really humbled and lucky that we were hitting our stride at the right time. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, the, the culmination of a team's incredible hard work. I'm really proud to be able to work alongside the incredible team that, that we have at Modern Health, who has ultimately gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, I, I um, feel like the, the path that you've taken in terms of fundraising is going to be something that a lot of listeners want to hear more about. Um, that, that's an incredible trajectory. Uh, was YC the first money into the company? Yeah. It was. That's awesome. And how hard was it to raise your uh, seed round through YC? Or did you did you raise uh, from Demo Day onwards? Or how, what time? What was the time yeah, around so that? We raised some before Demo Day and some after. And I think that, well, first and foremost, YC does an incredible job at giving um, and helping uh, uh, entrepreneurs get access to capital. I knew nothing about VC. I didn't even know like what VCs were when I started Modern Health. And I was just so passionate about the space. And the reality is at the end of the day, investors can be incredibly helpful and it's important to get people you know, around the table that you're excited to work with and that really can be helpful. But in the early days, you know, you also need capital to be able to give your company a shot at all, right? And so going through an accelerator program like YC gives entrepreneurs you know, access to capital that frankly, at least for myself, would never have had access to had I not gone through that accelerator program. So we ended up raising about a million dollars before Demo Day. Um, Gorav from a, a four reached out to, to us personally and basically was like, hey, I've had a thesis on this space, super excited about what you guys are doing. I you know, really wanna, wanna be part of this thing. And we loved meeting with him. We loved Gorav like, and Anamitra both at a four. They had this, you know, they took a, an approach where they really wanted to roll up their sleeves and dive in and help. And I think working with a seed stage focused fund like a four is really helpful in the early days because they really have skin in the game, right? They're going to come map out product strategy with you. They're really going to dive into whether it's like, how does this operational flow or process work? So we were super excited to work with them and ended up taking money from them before demo day and then raised another about $1.4 million from demo day onward. So we ended up raising about 2.4 uh, for the seed round. 
That's amazing. Um, well done to, to Gorov. I've, I've, I've always told him, you know, I'm really impressed with the investment he made in modern health. So uh, it's even better to hear uh, how proactive he was. Um, what made you want to work with them versus any other investors? I think ultimately having people that can get come around the table and for them specifically, their background and the product, they weren't just like, hey, we're investors that are going to write you a check. In the really early days, you want people that you know are going to be, even the approach they took and in investing in us was super scrappy. And that I loved that, right? Like a startup is being scrappy. And so seeing that they had that in their own DNA and being able to you know, really help us. And we would meet with them. I mean, every month we would spend hours whiteboarding. Hey, how is this healthcare system? Like, where does this break down? Let's walk through these flows, everything from that to helping us practice pitch as we were going into raise our series A. So I think part of in the early days, you want investors that, and especially a, a fund like a four, that's a seed stage focused fund. They have skin in the game. They really want you to be successful. They need you to be successful and to get to that next stage. So they're going to put in the extra work and the extra mile to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, what was it like then raising series A? Was that very different for you? You know, it actually, it, it was a little bit different. So we ended up, I think it was, gosh, six months after we did our seed round, I ended up getting connected through to Mamoon. Actually, funny story. So Jared Leto reached out to me, um, or rather reached out to the YC partners asking for an introduction to me because he had, you know, passion for the mental health space. So we ended up getting connected and he was like, hey, you should come to one of our concerts. So I ended up going to one of his concerts and meeting Mamoon there. Um, Jared Leto is actually a pretty amazing investor. He invests in a ton of awesome companies, tech companies. And so, um, you know, he, there was a number of investors there and I ended up getting connected to Mamoon. And the moon was like, you know, I've been keeping an eye on the mental health space. I think that, you know, there's certainly a need there and it's just the timing and the timing. I, he's like, I think the timing is now. Like he was kind of like, I also have this unique insight that I think that the mental health space is going to be huge. And a huge part of it is making sure that you're building the right product that can reach as many people in the most cost-effective way. And is not just scaling psychotherapy because he actually, you know, that was part of his thesis. And we were just so aligned in that that they ended up pretty much preempting the round and saying, hey, we want to do your Series A. I met him and Annie, um, Annie Case, who's um, a board observer. So Mamoon joined as a board director. Annie joined as a board observer. She's awesome. Huge, huge fan of Annie. And we were just so excited to work with them that um, we ended up moving pretty quickly. I think it was like a, a few weeks. Um, then we ended up uh, having them lead our, our Series A. That's amazing. And I, from what, from what I understand, the Series B and the Series C probably followed pretty quickly there. Um, were those also inbound or did you run a process for those? Um, let's see. So for our Series B, we ended up, I think we talked to, yeah, we ended up talking to a few investors. So really what happened was, okay, so Mamoon invested, we did our Series A. Then we ended up after that, he, he helped us really think about building out our, our sales motion and getting that, that muscle working. And so we ended up hiring a few sales reps, um, bringing on a VP of sales, and the thing just took off. You know, I, I, I'll have to say we have um, an incredible VP of sales, Hannah Wilson. She is a machine. I do not know how she does it. She's like a superwoman. She um, built out this amazing, this amazing sales organization and sales function and has just had incredible growth. So I think our revenue before we did our Series B grew over 10, 10 times that year. And that ultimately allowed, you know, us to do our series B pretty quickly after our series A. And then, um, since, since then our, our revenue has grown even, even more. And that ultimately is what allowed us to, to do our series C. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, I want to go back and talk about uh, customers. So fundraising is great. And, and I know uh, founders and investors love to talk about fundraising. Uh, but all of that really does come down to uh, the success of the business itself. And, and are you serving your customers? Are you driving revenue? Um, which, of course, you guys are doing. Um, when you were in uh, YC, are there things that you learned that helped you not just on the fundraising side, but also on the customer acquisition and product side? Yeah, I think ultimately one one of the biggest things that YC um, advises companies on is talk to your customers. I will say one challenge to the space that we're in is it's B2B2C, right? So we are selling to employers, um, we sell to HR leaders, and then ultimately employees are our users. So, and then you've also got providers on your network. So you're talking to multiple different parties and to some extent you're building product for multiple different parties as well. But one thing that YC advises that, you know, I couldn't agree with more is talking to your users. And so they're, they just ingrain that in you. Like they constantly ingrain, like, talk to your users. Have you talked to your users? Do they love your product? Are they loving your product? And so for us in the early days, I remember hitting people up on LinkedIn. I mean, I must have reached out to hundreds, hundreds of people leaders just saying, will you spend 10 minutes on a phone call with me and like give your feedback on this product? I'm not trying to sell to you. All, all I want is feedback. And that eventually leads to some early customers because they say, hey, actually, I'm really interested in this. And so we took the approach of we're, we're actually not even going to try to sell. We just want to get as much feedback as possible so we can have that drive our product roadmap and we can iterate quickly. And I mean, truthfully, yeah, I think I reached out to a few hundred different people leaders. Um, and some of those are, you know, took a, took a bet on us and our earliest customers. Gusto is one of those. They were also Y Combinator company. Mm-hmm. Reached out to their people leader over there, um, Zoe, who's amazing. And she gave us incredible feedback and she was like if you guys can build this and you know incorporate this feedback like reach back out in a few months once this is ready and we'd be a customer of yours and so you know you get that feedback and it's really validating it's super exciting and then it allows you to make sure you're building something that you know your buyers really need and that they really want so so who was your first customer if you can share i think i'm trying to think you know we we closed a few customers around the same time but i think gusto was one of our our first customers um so you know we we feel very, you know, excited and humbled to be able to still be working and supporting their their workforce today. Um, but yeah, we work with a hundred over 170 companies all around the world. I mean, companies like Pixar, Electronic Arts, uh, Cliff Bar, Rakuten, Octolift, uh, Gusto, uh, SoFi, Zendesk, Nextdoor. You know, the list goes on. And I think one of the things that we've done is we are working with employers who aren't just looking to check the box and say, here's a mental health solution for our employees, like check this box and, you know, move on. But they actually are partnering with us on their overall mental health strategy from a cultural perspective. Like we work very closely with the people leaders and HR teams who are saying, Hey, this is changing the way of the, you know, this is the way of the future. This is changing the way that we work. We need to make it a more supportive culture where people know we really care about them and their mental health. And we know that that is going to impact their ability to perform. And so that's why we're investing in this, not just to check the box, but because we truly care about our employees. And it's the only way that the business can, can be successful and continue to innovate. Um, and, and so, yeah, super, super humbled and proud to be able to work with so many innovative companies around the world. I, I do think that something that's interesting about you guys is that you do think about uh, utilization differently, right? A lot of companies, they want to keep utilization low, not so low that uh, the the employer is unhappy, but uh, no higher than what the employer sees as a good target, um, because you know, th- there there's uh, expense often associated with the business model. If they're in a different model, then of course they want very high utilization. How do you guys think about that? If you can share with the listeners, you know, managing that that 
challenge around utilization? Yeah, so we are all about utilization. Um, and I'm you know, proud to share that across our book of business, our average utilization is uh, north of 20%, whereas in this space, you know, EAPs is one to 3% and other competitors in the space see like five to 10%. And I think that's because we're taking a different approach. We're saying mental health is for everyone, similar to physical health. Mental health is this spectrum from green to red. We all fall somewhere on that spectrum and it ebbs and flows at different points in our life. Well, people in the red is a subset of the population and does fall on that spectrum. There's also people in the yellow and green. So let's engage everyone regardless of where they fall. Whereas other solutions out there that are really focused on, you know, creating to their credit a mousetrap around connecting people to one-on-one -on -one care, we're saying eventually that bubble will burst. We need to reserve the one-on-one -on -one care for those who really need it and get people to engage before they get into that red bucket. So we actually are you know, we're, we're motivated to drive as much engagement as possible and to increase as many people to come through that top of the funnel. So one thing that we've done differently with our product is just really even the way we position it. We don't make it this, hey, this is just a mental health solution for those that struggle with depression. That's one piece to it. But hey, this is a solution for everyone. No matter where you fall on that spectrum, you can proactively engage in your mental health, whether that means working with a coach on career de development, whether that means working with um, a mental health specialist on postpartum or being a new parent or having kids home right now, uh, you know, without childcare, go, go, working through all these different parts along the employee journey that impact us in our lives and, you know, are a point of adversity that we need support to work through. And so we work with employers to drive as much as engagement as possible, because we think the more people that engage in our product, ultimately, the better um, the, the employee population will be and the more healthier and the more productive they'll be. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I can imagine uh, people who are in the people department uh, aligning with that viewpoint, uh, and 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 especially the way that you've structured the offering, it it is very aligned around that front. Um, I I, I want to touch base on um, the challenges in building a company. Uh, a lot of things that uh, have happened at Modern Health have been uh, it seems really fortuitous. Things have been you know upward and to the right, so to speak. Uh, what are some of the things you've had to overcome, and what have you learned from that? Yeah, you know, I think there's a number of things. I'll, I'll be the first to say that for a startup, there's always a low to meet the high. Um, and it is, it, it really is an emotional roller coaster. I think if there's anything I've learned running a company, it's the importance of mental health, my own mental health. You know, I'm, I'm very, you know, proud to share that I wouldn't be here standing here today if it wasn't for my uh, therapist, my executive coach, my couples counselor. Like I, I prioritize all this, I invest in all this. It's the only way that I can perform at the top of my game. You know, I think about, running a company very similar to being an athlete. It's like, what resources can you give yourself to make sure that you're able to perform at your top of your game? Because really the, the role of the CEO and a founder is to support your team um, and, and, to, and to support them. And in order to do that, you need to be able to support yourself. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, is balancing all of that, right? I think running a company and, and being a founder, it's really hard to separate a company from your identity. And so it becomes really emotional when anything goes wrong, right? You're like, wait, this is so connected to who you are and your identity. But at the end of the day, it's healthy to just have a perspective of, hey, you're building this thing and you want to achieve this goal for us. It's make mental health accessible and a priority for as many people as possible around the world. And you're going to do whatever it takes to, to make that um, work and to be successful there. But be okay with the fact that there's going to be ups and downs along the way. I mean, as a female founder, um, I think I was checking, it was in, it was in pitch book, like a, based on 2019 data, it said, I think all VC back of all VC back deals, only 11% of those went to female led companies. Um, so just right there, you know, you're already faced with an uphill battle of, 
um, getting in front of investors who you know are typically investing in men-led companies. And I've been super lucky to date that all the investors that we've brought around the table, I mean, they're incredible. Like seriously, I, I would not be here today without them. And I'm, I'm really, I feel really fortunate to have them around the table and to have their support. Um, because the best, the best type of investors are those who are there, you know, along, alongside you and supporting you throughout those ups and downs. Um, and I think everything from the early days when you're just trying to get the company off the ground and get your first customers, you know, you asked who those early customers were, it's like brute force. You're literally like LinkedIn messaging hundreds of people until you get that one person who's willing to take a phone call with you and say like, hey, this is kind of in interesting. Like I'd potentially be a customer, like call me back in three months. You're like, oh gosh, I just need to get like one of those customers. So I think, you know, the challenges of just keep pushing, even when things aren't going well. Um, you know, I also went through a, a pretty difficult co-founder breakup, which of course, you know, impacts your your own mental health and and you know, is a challenge as is as is any co-founder breakup. And so there's always things that are going on in the background that are a challenge, whether it's you can't disconnect, you're working 24-7. Um, you're spending time with family, but you're staring at your computer, staring at your phone. And, you know, you can't focus on, you know, being with your loved ones just because it's so consuming. You know, my husband's an entrepreneur himself who sold his first company. He's on his second. And I can't tell you how many times at dinner we have our laptops up. I mean, at least 50% of the time. And our hope is that, you know, we, we both are so passionate about what we do that, that it's worth it. And we really feel that it is. And we have each other's support. But there, you know, there's a cost to all of this. And so I think it's just being really open and vulnerable about what it means to be a founder and running a company and being open that it's really hard. But at the end of the day, there's, there's, I mean, it's amazing, right? It's, it's, it's so fulfilling and it's so fulfilling to be able to have and work alongside an amazing team, especially on a mission that's helping so many people around the world. And like at the end of the day, that's, that's what gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah. Keeping, keeping an eye on that motivation, I think is really, really helpful. Um, it's interesting. You talk a lot about being open and vulnerable and, and, uh, I'm a big fan of that. I love that you're talking about, um, your own experiences with therapy. It's very aligned, obviously with the mission of the company, but it's also uh, courageous to share that a lot of folks still feel like there's a stigma associated with, and they can't, um, can you talk about, you know, how you deal with the, the judgment for your choices, right? So being open and, and, and honest and vulnerable, um, gives you a little bit of uh, ability to to move forward and 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 be more free, uh, but it often brings or invites more judgment for the choices that you're making. People know they know now the choices that you're making. Um, how do you manage that judgment if if you feel it? Yeah, you know it's interesting. I feel like being really open and honest and vulnerable and transparent has created the type of culture that I want to be part of, which is people. At the end of the day, like we're all human. And I think that people forget even that founders are employees. Like we're, we're, everyone is just doing their best and everyone's learning along the way and no one's perfect. And as long as you're bringing your, you know, doing everything you can to bring your best self to work and work really hard to make an impact and support your team, you know, we, and, and have gratitude along the way and not be entitled and be humbled about the opportunities we're given, being transparent and vulnerable allows that to come through right? Allows people to, to share those things and to feel those sentiments. And so I feel like it's been so important to me to lead with vulnerability and lead with this type of transparency, especially in the workforce. So people can feel that way at work and that that's the type of culture that we can create. Um, but I think it also like, look, I think it helps attract top talent that feel this way as well. I mean, modern health is a place where people care so much about the impact that they're making, the impact that modern health is making on you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives, and also on the impact of their teammates. I mean, we, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We learn to have fun at work. We know that at the end of the day, life is really short. And if you're not enjoying each and every day, like what's the point? 
And I think that there's like, there's like this notion out there that for whatever reason that like founders are these perfect humans who never make mistakes. It's like, I've made plenty of mistakes. I'm perfect. I'm not perfect by any means. And I really, it's the, it's my team that is the measure of success. And at the end of the day, I always take an approach that I've took in sports, right? I was an athlete. I played lacrosse in college, which is you just, you win on the field and you win on the field by having great sportsmanship, by having a great team. And ultimately that allows you to execute and have a win. And in the world of, you know, B2B in the healthcare space, it's having an amazing team that has great sportsmanship, that cares and loves about, loves each other and has even like a respect for their competitors, but that builds the best product. And ultimately that results in really happy customers. And so that's just, you know, the focus that I've taken. And I think leading with vulnerability and transparency allows us to have that mindset. And so people who invest in modern health or people who join modern health as an employee have that same mindset and share those same sentiments and values. And so ultimately it allows, it allows it to work. Do, do you see that as something that's changed over time? Like uh, I imagine with the number of employees you have and the number of employees you serve, uh, do you see a generational shift into people adopting this mindset versus maybe previous mindsets of being a little bit more um, closed off or protective, trying to avoid uh, judgment and, and is, is there a shift happening? I think so. I think it's happening just overall as we think about it's part of what it's interesting, right? It's like we have a front row seat to this conversation because we're a mental health company who sells yeah. and trying to help them create the right culture by offering mental health support to their own employees. And I think what we're seeing is that, look, at the end of the day, you know, what, what um, you know, drives human happiness, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, is authentic human connection. And it's about what drives authentic human connection is being vulnerable. So giving folks the tool, you know, giving folks the opportunity to be vulnerable with each other, with their teammates, ultimately that's going to drive connection and going to make them feel motivated and make them feel inspired. And so I think we are seeing this shift in the workplace where we spend a lot of time at work. It's no longer a world where we just work nine to five. I mean, we spend more time with our coworkers than we do with our family members. Um, right during the week. It's like we're, we're working and even at night, I mean, we're spending a lot of hours with each other. And so I think it's be, you know, the world that we live in today is different and that it's, again, it's no longer like you keep your career and your job completely separate from your life at home and your your personal life. And so part of this shift is having that conversation and being open about that. And so making sure that people feel supported in their personal lives, in their professional lives, and feel like they can be themselves. Um, cause at the end of the day, that's, that's all anyone wants is to be able to be themselves and, and have authentic connections with their teammates and their loved ones. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's huge. I've seen uh, a huge shift myself, you know, Gen Z seems to be the most, uh, aware of, of mental health issues. Also maybe in some cases, the most subject to mental health issues, um, based on some of the data I've seen. Uh, and it makes me wonder like, what does the future look like? Is this increased awareness of mental health uncovering problems that were already there? Is it in response to new problems that are arising? It seems like you kind of buy into that theory. Um, but I wonder what does the future look like uh, when people are are thinking about these things more and more and orthogonally dealing with them more and more because of things like technology? I think the future is that at the end of the day, the next billion dollar idea is in a human's head. It's not in a robot's head. And so if we if we want to continue to innovate at the rate that technology is innovating today, we have to take care of our mental health. Otherwise, the rate of innovation will decline. We will see a massive decline. We will see it impact the economy. It will impact productivity. So we have no choice but to take care of our mental health and to prioritize it now, because if we don't, I mean, it's kind of a morbid outlook, but it will impact all of us. 
um, in order to continue to innovate the rate that we're innovating, we, we have to prioritize our mental health and that starts at work. Amazing. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're out there doing it. Before we wrap up, uh, I'd like to finish with two quick questions. Uh, what is the uh, best book you've read this year? So I like to always reread How to Win Friends and Influence Others by Dale Carnegie. I think I've read it like 10 times, but it's a classic. Time I read it, I learn something new. Um, so that's, that's one of my, my favorites and a classic. Awesome. And any shows that you've seen this year that you really liked? Money Heist. I like Money cried heist. when uh, that show was over. Oh, no. Died, man. That was like the saddest day. But um, yeah, it's an amazing show. I recommend everyone watch it. I'm obsessed with it. A little bit of a spoiler in there. <laughs> a little bit of a spoiler. Yeah. Sorry. Oops. Um, there's a new season coming out too. So hopefully that'll be good. I know. I'm counting down the days. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, we will uh, uh, be sharing this with, with people and, and hopefully they'll be really excited uh, to hear about what you've built and, and hopefully you reach many more people in the years to come. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Allison. 